You're listening to Hello Movies, a podcast to get you off the couch and into the theater. I'm Lana Gay. Coming up, we talk to one of the producers of Frozen 2. Has Elsa seemed weird to you? She seems like Elsa. We get a close-up look at the new star-studded mystery movie, Knives Out. You know something. Spill it. I suspect foul play. Plus, we've got Mr. Rogers trivia, a look at movie tropes, and a chat with Tanner Zipchin of the Cineplex pre-show about upcoming movies. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's time to do a little listening before watching. Let's get started. Elsa, the past is not what it seems. You must find the truth. Go to the enchanted lands and into the unknown. Elsa and Anna are back with Kristoff and Olaf. It took five years, but Frozen 2 is finally coming out. The original cast is returning, along with some new voices and a story that takes them all on another adventure to save Arendelle, plus a slew of new songs. The first movie was a massive hit, raking in over $400 million in North America alone. Our colleagues at Cineplex Magazine spoke with Peter Delvecco, producer of both Frozen movies and the short film Frozen Fever that came out in 2015. Delvecco talked about how important it was to get the timing just right. When we first finished the movie, um, generally speaking, the studio was wondering if we wanted to do a sequel. And at that time, we weren't ready to do a sequel. and that, They were fine with that. Uh, about a year later, we did the short. And um, we realized we actually, in that intervening year, we had missed working with these characters because they're real to us and we really enjoy them. So did we. Plus, I don't know about you, but I had a lot of questions after the first movie. Thankfully, so did the creative team. Where were the parents going when the ship went down? Or what is Elsa's purpose for powers? I know she's Queen of Arendelle, but she's not going to just decorate the castle with ice the rest of her life. What's the purpose of those powers? Where did they come from? What's Anna's role in all this? And so the more questions we asked, the more we realized we actually had more story we wanted to tell. What's going on? I think I woke the magical spirits of the Enchanted Forest. Okay, that's definitely not what I thought you were going to say. To get inspiration, the production team took a research trip to Norway, a place they visited before making the first movie. This time they went farther north and then beyond. We also ventured into Finland, and then we also went to Iceland. Iceland is a, a huge contrast to Norway and, and Finland, and uh, it, it felt very uh, mythic and epic. It felt like the environment, you know, could choose to... Uh, you feel very small in Iceland relative to the environment, the power of the environment. You know, a lot of the Scandinavian folklore is where those rocks came from, was the uh, giant rock trolls that they were the only thing strong enough to pick up these rocks and hurl them, you know, great distances so they would land kind of out of place in the forest. So you could feel the mythology as you walk through the forest. I mean, we know now that they actually came from the Ice Age uh, and that they were dragged from other places and deposited there as the, as the ice melted. But... Uh, uh, you know, the idea of hidden folk, uh, you know, the, the ground is sort of rolling and hilly and you can understand why people thought maybe there was something underneath the ground. On the trip with Delveco were directors Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck, who had worked on the first movie as well. Lee, who also wrote the screenplay, kept a diary of their travels. But it wasn't just a journal. She wrote it in the voices of Anna and Elsa. 
anything that was inspirational, um, she would jot down. So if a thought or an idea came to her mind, she would definitely write it down. And every once in a while, we would stop on the trip because there would be some spark of inspiration. Far away, as north as we can go, once stood an enchanted forest. You see an enchanted forest? Yes, it was a magical place, but something went wrong. Since then, no one can get in or out. Yes, we finally get to know a little bit about Elsa and Anna's parents in flashbacks. That's Alfred Molina as their dad. Evan Rachel Wood is playing their mom. Other new characters are being voiced by Sterling K. Brown, Martha Plimpton, and Jason Ritter. The story takes place three years after the previous movie. One huge difference this time is that the sisters are not going to be fighting one another. I'm going with you. Anna, no. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex-boyfriend. So, you know, I'm coming. So for all of us who loved the first one, what will the sequel bring? Here's what Peter Delvecco had to say. What's brilliant about what uh, Jennifer Lee is the screenwriter and one of the directors and Chris Buck as the other director did, was they crafted a story that also taps into the history of things that happened before Frozen 1. Uh, we have a flashback where we meet the parents and we're, we learn additional information that helps bridge us to the Frozen 2 world. So by the end, if we've done our job right, Frozen 1 and Frozen 2 should feel as though it was always conceived as one journey. Frozen 2 opens across the country on November 22nd. Hey, I'm looking for Fred Rogers. In here. Another movie coming to theaters this month is the Tom Hanks flick, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, about beloved public television host Mr. Rogers, who I adore. I've been learning some fun facts about the man as well. First of all, those zippered cardigans he wore on the show were all made by his mom. And one of them is now in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. He's been on a postage stamp. He's one of those tremendously popular Funko Pop figures, and he has an asteroid named after him. It probably won't surprise you to hear that Mr. Rogers was a vegetarian, but did you know his reason? He said, quote, I don't want to eat anything that has a mother, unquote. So here comes the trivia question. I'm going to give you four facts about Mr. Rogers. Three are true, and one is from the neighborhood of make-believe. Can you guess which one? All right, here they are. One, his childhood nickname was Fat Freddy. Two, he thought Eddie Murphy's parody of him was hilarious. Three, he served with the U.S. Army in Vietnam. Four, he got a fast food commercial pulled off the air. We'll give you the answer in just a bit. You think one of us, one of his family, killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Knives Out opens on November 27th. It's got an incredible cast. Jamie Lee Curtis, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Tony Collette, to name a few. And it looks kind of like an Agatha Christie-style whodunit, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Whose biggest film to date, you know, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. So to talk about the movie, we have Lindsay Romaine joining me from Austin. She's an avowed Star Wars fan and a contributing editor to Nerdist. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? 
I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, I know you're a big Star Wars fan. Did Ryan Johnson's involvement make you more interested in seeing the film? Yeah, it definitely did. I was a Johnson fan before even Star Wars came out. I was a huge fan of Brick when it first came out. That's still one of my favorite movies. So he was definitely on my radar already. But yeah, definitely having the Star Wars involvement, especially The Last Jedi, uh, really reeled me in and had my my attention. Okay, so... As we mentioned earlier, the cast is stacked. You've got Daniel Craig as the renowned investigator, Christopher Plummer as the deceased crime novelist, the patriarch, Tony Collette, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, they're all, you know, the children. Don Johnson is in it as well. Okay, so who gives the most surprising performance? Because some of these actors are really playing against type. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think the person that I walked away just having the the strongest kind of like feeling the most endeared towards is Toni Collette, who just has a ton of fun with this role. She plays kind of a an airy, rich girl, a uh, housewife type figure. And uh, obviously, like, I knew she was very talented, but I don't think I've really seen her in this specific type of role before. So she's the one who, who really stood out to me. Now, there's more to this film than just a traditional whodunit. You have Anna Diarmis, who plays Harlan's caregiver, who happens to be the daughter of an illegal immigrant, alongside Harlan's grandson, played by Jaden Martell, who's an alt-right troll. So it definitely feels like a modern take on a traditional genre. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely elements of it being modern. I think that it weaves in some political commentary that's going to date it, not in a you know negative way, but I think is going to make it feel very, very like strongly tied to this era. And um, there's definitely conversations in the film. Ryan Johnson has even said this, that feel almost like Twitter conversations sort of come to life, just the way the family bickers with each other and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot of commentary weaved into the movie. It never feels like it's really, you know, to its detriment or anything. Director Ryan Johnson described how the cast would play pool in the basement of the mansion in between scenes. So I would go down there and there were basically like the best actors working today just all gathered around a pool table just like sharing war stories and I was like I don't want to go back upstairs and work I want to stay down here and hear all these incredible things I said it was it was a blast everybody had a lot of fun does the house itself have a role in the film yes absolutely and that was one of my favorite things about the film I'm a huge sucker for like a big gothic mansion I think they feel kind of like characters themselves in movies sometimes mm-hmm. and this house is just incredible um, I saw the movie at Fantastic Fest down here in Austin and afterwards Ryan Johnson was telling us how it's, the house itself is kind of loaded with Easter eggs and kind of callbacks to the movies that have inspired it and you can definitely feel that even though it still feels like its own thing also so you wrote in your review that it's hard to imagine having a better time at the movies this year That's quite a rave review. Yeah, I think it was, it's such a crowd pleaser. I just immediately wanted to watch it again with a different crowd just to like see how that's kind of recaptured. But I think, yeah, it's just so much fun. That's the best compliment I can give any movie is that I want to watch it again right away. Absolutely. Now, was the person that you thought did it, and we're not going to spoil anything here, but was the whodunit who you thought done it? No, I think people will will be pleasantly surprised by it. uh, And yeah, I think it's definitely a movie that, like any good murder mystery, it keeps you guessing throughout the whole time. So every time you think you kind of have it figured out, something else comes in to to make you think, eh, maybe that's not the case. So it, it keeps that going throughout the whole film. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It was great to talk to you about Knives Out. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. Earlier in the podcast, we gave you four facts about Mr. Rogers and asked you to figure out which one was a phony. Did you figure it out? Here they are again. One, 
His childhood nickname was Fat Freddy. Two, he thought Eddie Murphy's parody of him was hilarious. Three, he served with the U.S. Army in Vietnam. Four, he got a fast food commercial pulled off the air. Let's start with Eddie Murphy, because he's finally back in the movies, and so many people loved his Saturday Night Live sketch, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Not only was Mr. Rogers not upset by it, he thought it was pretty funny. He even made a point of visiting Eddie Murphy in his SNL dressing room to tell him so. They hugged. Oh, I love that. But there was one parody Mr. Rogers didn't like. And yes, it was for a Burger King commercial. The star was a man who looked and sounded mighty familiar called Mr. Rodney. They pulled the ad after Mr. Rogers called the fast food chain's senior VP. It's on YouTube if you want to see it. You'll know why it was pulled in about three seconds. Mr. Rogers weighed exactly 143 pounds every single day of his adult life. So was he called Fat Freddy when he was a kid? Yes. He was overweight and bullies used to torment him. He said he cried a lot and would play the piano to express his feelings and grew up to be, well, Mr. Rogers. So I guess thank you, terrible bullies. But don't be a bully. It's not nice. That means, no, he did not serve in Vietnam. There were rumors swirling around the internet for years that he was a sniper in both Vietnam and Korea, but they are totally false. He was a pacifist, and he never served in the army ever. To learn more about Mr. Rogers, go see It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood this month. One more tidbit for you. Tom Hanks is wearing Mr. Rogers' actual ties in the movie, loaned out by his wife. Happy viewing! One of the reasons the first Frozen movie was so popular was that it went against Disney tropes and movie tropes in general. Sisterly love saved the day and the perfect prince turned out to be a cad. That got me thinking about other movie tropes we see all the time, and most of them aren't even big story points. They're just little things we're used to seeing in one movie or another. There's that paper grocery bag with the baguette and the leafy vegetable sticking out of it, with no handles, of course. How about those L-shaped sheets they must sell in Hollywood just for hanging out in bed after having sex? You know, the ones that cover women up to their armpits but only reach men's waists. I never seem to find them when I go shopping. Here's another classic, the group of villains who like to attack one at a time. You can see this in Kill Bill, Enter the Dragon, well, most kung fu movies, really. And after the first 30 seconds, that elevator scene in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Speaking of villains, isn't it fun how some of them wait so long to kill the hero? They spend that time revealing all of their secret plans. So once the hero escapes, they know exactly what needs to be done to save the day. Where would James Bond movies be without that? Also X-Men Apocalypse and Dark Knight, continuing a long Batman tradition. And there have been so many scenes of people calmly walking away from huge explosions completely unaffected that Andy Samberg made a music video about it called, what else? Cool Guys Don't Look at Explosions. Yeah. Cool guys don't look at explosions. They blow things up and then walk away. Anyone remember that? It was for the 2009 MTV Movie Awards and featured perfect walking away from explosion scenes for movies like Gone in 60 Seconds, Iron Man, From Dusk Till Dawn, and Lethal Weapon 3. But here's the bottom line. A lot of these exist as shortcuts. The filmmakers want to tell us more about a character or get us to the next scene. 
That's why bartenders just hand over a beer without asking what kind, and nobody ever says goodbye before they hang up the phone. And while they're easy to make fun of, they also keep us on the edge of our seats. Instead of spending valuable storytelling time getting change from cab drivers, our heroes are throwing a few bills at them and moving on to where the real action is. Exact fare is movie magic, people, and that's how we like it. Hello, neighbor. Tanner Zipchin of the Cineplex pre-show just walked into the studio. He's here to talk about new movies like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Hello, neighbor. How are you? Hi, neighbor. Wow, we're on brand today. I really love Mr. Rogers, and I'm really excited for this one. Well, I think people should be. I think you know this film really captures the spirit of Mr. Rogers. And people, you know, leave the theater. They can't believe it's a, this person existed and how he was exactly what he's seen. I think people, you know, especially with the, the film is based on an article written about Mr. Rogers. I think in, in an attempt to kind of dig up some truth and find more, and it turns out that now he's he is the kind neighbor that everyone thinks he is which is really cool and you and you leave feeling inspired and also they really tried to capture that magic and bring some authentic Mr. Rogers into this film uh, they I know they had a lot of uh, pieces of his uh, some of his clothing donated by his family including like the ties and such so there's little bits of real the real Mr. Rogers in the Tom Hanks character which is very cool so you did talk to uh, the director and, and members of the cast at TIFF yeah so what else did you learn uh, Muriel Heller the director yeah told me that as well as you know I asked about the sweaters because there's some some interesting you know long shots they, they're trying to recreate the opening of the show you know Mr. Rogers walks down the stairs takes off the the coat puts on the shoes I'm like that's the thing, you know sometimes things go wrong even the most professional actors sometimes the zippers are challenging and and sure enough she said there was a few times Tom Hanks slipped on the on the sweater zippers and uh, they had to go back go back to the beginning go back to ones on that because just snag sometimes you know, I hope knitted cardigans with zippers become a, become more of a thing this well, winter. Movies Just saying. are known to, you know, maybe start fashion trends. You know, <laughs> pop culture things can do that. So Indeed. this could be the one. Oh, also, you talked to some people from Ford versus Ferrari. Tell us about that. Yeah, that also at, at TIFF uh, this past fall in Toronto uh, caught up with everyone on the red carpet. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a film about the the famous Le Mans race, Ford versus Ferrari, and Carol, Carol Shelby uh, joining the Ford team. So. When it came to you know talking to these you know actors and, and and crew and cast members about cars, you got to go back to the beginning. You got to ask them what their first car was. I think everybody has got such a, some such fond memories of their first vehicle. So uh, good uh, stories. Yeah, for uh, for Matt Damon, he cashed his first acting check and bought a, an Acura Integra from a salvage yard and uh, drove it for a lot longer than he thought. He said it. He reminisced about the the shifter being so smooth and buttery, and it was awesome, and he he loved it to pieces. And uh, Christian Bale shared his first car with his dad. It was an old Buick with big, you know, box boxy seats that it would just bang around. And he said it was fun to drive. But uh, most of the actors had very uh, terrible first vehicles. I think, like most most actors, you know, you, you got to start out, you got to grind a bit, and then you get the nice cars later. Uh, Josh Lucas said he drove his until it exploded and he left it in flames. Oh, wow. So, I mean, hey. What was your first car? I don't think I wanted to admit this, but uh, it was a, it was an, an Oldsmobile. It was a, a Cutlass Supreme. Cutlass Supreme. Maybe. It was like a blue car, like kind of a boxier mm-hmm. blue, blue car. So if we went Ford versus Ferrari versus Oldsmobile. Yeah, I think the Oldsmobile would would take it. I think that I think <laughs> I mean I think that this is potential sequel material here. Right. Now. 
Uh, well, I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing the original first, and then we'll see how uh, the next one goes. I think we should do it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thanks so much, Tanner. Thank you. And again, Ford versus Ferrari out November fifteenth. And that's a wrap. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks. On our next episode of Hello Movies, we'll be talking Jumanji and cats. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Colton Eddy is our producer. Philip Zivkov is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jun. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening, and see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>